0: your presentation happy new year welcome to another episode of the untitled movie podcast i am one of your hosts matt roerbeck alongside he's allergic to tomatoes but he is tomato meter approved eric marchin
1: matt it's a new year we've got uh you were covering from a cold i have a cold right now not covid um <laughs> great way to start off 2024.
0: Yeah, I know. Man, I got it right on like boxing day it hit me. So it was definitely from like the Christmas uh holiday kind of gatherings and things like that. Now my my wife had it. It it's a weird one too. I don't know if you you have the same one. Like um it's lasting longer. Like it, it's lasted almost 2 weeks for me. Um you know, I started feeling better after that first week, but I was still like congested. I'm like still I'm feeling much better but like yeah it was it was weird man like it was it, it felt like a cold it felt like a flu it felt like a little bit of everything it, i tested for covid <laughs> multiple times and i was like okay it's not covid so it's a, some other weird thing well there's been that like-
1: flu right like that yeah. sort of um
0: i don't even know it feels like something different though like it's just it's lingering which is annoying it's lingering and um it was a weird start to the year. I know we've talked about how our 2023 was a little and maybe it's perfect for this episode, you know, because today we are going to be giving our top 15 films of 2023, both Eric and I, with a few caveats. we we still haven't seen a few things and um, but we wanted to get this episode out there. So this list could, if you jump onto our letterbox in a week or two, it could possibly change as in any list and don't hold us to it. Does. Um But we wanted to put this episode out there. I think we've seen a good amount of films from last year. I've missed a couple heavy hitters, but uh, it is what it is at this point. Uh, Will it change? I don't know. I'll I'll eventually see those movies, or maybe I'll just stick to the bit and never watch Killers of the Flower Moon. Who knows? (laughs) um, But yeah, uh, this seems fitting starting the year with a a cold and and doing this episode because we had a weird year in 2023. I think that partially when I joke about Killers of the Flower Moon or – different things I think we both had an up and down 2023 with a lot of downs for both of us Um, we've talked openly and candidly about what those downs are Um, we were a little bit inconsistent on this show so for everyone Listening or watching this or if you're a new listener, we really do appreciate that, too. But uh, for all the hardcore people who have been listening and and, and watching, we were a little inconsistent last year. And I know you're all very understanding. And, you know, I went through some shit in the early year. Eric went through some shit later in the year. Uh, The show as much as we wanted to do it weekly that was ridiculous we can't keep up with that bi-weekly we wanted to do we were just inconsistent with that I think we were pretty consistent with reviews but we were still up and down there'd be large periods where we didn't review anything or we just got overwhelmed or we watched them for voting purposes but we never got around to reviewing them so this episode will do a little bit of that conversation for movies we didn't necessarily review um, but we had a weird year is what I'm trying to say so um, we've already mentioned this on you know a- an episode you're gonna here next week uh which is or two weeks from now which is the most anticipated films of 2024 which was supposed to be our first episode of the year so we're already fucking up exactly what we said but we're trying to do two episodes uh a month for the main show that will be topic focused it's uh you know this month is going to be this episode uh, and that most anticipated Uh, And then we're trying to do at least like four reviews uh, a month, which equals one a week, but you might get two one week and then we might skip a week or something like that. So that's going to be and then on Untitled Movie Reviews, everything's going to be on the Untitled Movie Podcast channel for conversational stuff. And then on the Reviews channel, we're going to start to do something new, which is going to be very much like Eric's Rogers Reviews, which is a single person doing review. They're going to be more written and performed. I say performed. That sounds like a weird word, but you know what I mean by like delivered to you with a voiceover and, and and b-roll and stuff like that so um but yeah so that's going to be the changes coming up this year so this is our first episode so I thought I'd just get that off the top but uh Eric other than your little cough how how are how's your holidays been how have you been I saw you on Christmas Eve but yeah um, but that was pretty much it because we've been kind of uh I've been sick or now you're we sick. jackboxed together late. We did uh, d- Jackbox together, we did, uh, th- which was fun. I always like uh, the Christmas Eve, everyone coming over and, and drinking or and having uh, playing some Jackbox. So uh, uh, what else have you been up to, though? Up? Mostly just relaxing, really. Yeah. And
1: and what you were saying, where, you know, another thing to mention, because we're both Critics' Choice members, uh, the 29th uh, Annual Critics' Choice Awards is coming up on January 14th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're voting members. So been catching up on some stuff. You know, can just before with a nice wild cherry Pepsi. Ooh, not a sponsor though. Um starting the but, year but, off but, but, differently. But your your dad would be upset with you with that one. Um, cause your dad's not a Pepsi guy.
0: And I always talk about that. Uh you know when kids rebel against their fathers because they just they they need to do something different. I sorry to cut you off, but this is an important story about wild cherry Pepsi. So it's okay. <laughs> um yeah, my dad notoriously loves coca-cola just loves it he drinks it like water i don't know how he's healthy but he is (laughs) um and he's my whole life just housing two liter cokes and like cans of coke like they're nothing uh he's ride or die coca-cola he's the guy at the restaurant where you go can I get a Coke? And they go, is Pepsi okay? And he goes, absolutely not. I don't want it. I'll have, I'm going to burn this building down. I'll have a chocolate (laughs) milk or something. Like my dad's also lactose intolerant, but I go to their house now and he just has a giant glass of chocolate milk. It's hilarious. Um, So I, uh, as a kid, there was a time where I was like, I'm going to drink Pepsi. I'm going to make Pepsi my thing because Uh, it's different. And my dad likes Coke. So I'm going to say, fuck you, dad. I'm going to drink Pepsi. Uh, So for a while there, wild cherry Pepsi was my thing. Um, I love cherry Coke as well. I was a cherry Coke kid, but wild cherry Pepsi. I think, you know what really got me, Eric? Remember Pepsi points where you could collect Pepsi points from like the cases or under the cap? Remember you used to pop out the cap? And and like uh on a on a bottle. Did you never do Oh that? Yes, no? yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, from from the bottle ones where yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the plastic thing you would pop yeah. out. They don't really have them anymore. But you used to win they used to do a lot of contests that way. Now it's all scared a QR code and, and punching a code online. No. I like the analog way. I like the physical media of winning shit through soda, which was the get the physical plastic (laughs) thing from uh, from under the the Pepsi cap. Anyways, you could collect Pepsi points as well where you and the Star Wars episode one, I think, is also what made me a Pepsi kid. Because um, the
1: cans would have characters like Watto and Sabalba yeah. on it. And you would be yeah. like, I cannot wait I had to learn more about collection. these characters.
0: So I think it originated there and then continued with Pepsi yeah. points. So anyways, uh, I then I I came to my senses and realized Coke is the superior soda. It um, is. Uh, but the other day, I was at the, anyways, flash forward 30 years or whatever. So um, I'm at the grocery store. I've, I've since become very loyal to Coca Cola again. I didn't need to drink Pepsi. Um, they didn't have Cherry Coke Zero at the grocery store, but they did have Pepsi Zero Sugar Cherry. So I bought a case well, of that. That even um, sounds wrong so i i bought a case of uh of this uh i'm going to go back to cherry coke or normal coca cola zero but uh it was an interesting experiment um so not a sponsor and not something i'll continue to drink but uh, I'm, don't tell I'm, dad i'm coca-cola ride <laughs> or die anyways back to what probably more importantly what you were saying
1: <laughs> yes critics choice awards 29th annual uh, award show uh is on january 14th we're voters uh voting so, this week really yeah yeah,
0: yeah so this so... is a little uh preview i guess of what we might be voting <laughs> for not in all categories but at least maybe in best no best film whatever our highest ranked well, no, not not in uh, my number one's not in best film, <laughs>
1: neither's mine, I don't think, but what's oh yeah, no, no, we won't spoil that now. Yeah, I know mine's well, not in in
0: i'm mine's not as of right now, but my one and two keep flip flopping so and and back and forth, so it just depends on what mood I'm in when we get to number two and number one, so uh, yeah, I'm excited to vote um i'm I'm pretty ready to vote. Other than those couple things that I want, I need to watch this week. But um, unfortunately, we just want to get this episode done. So uh, we couldn't hold it up anymore. Um, but without further ado, let's just get into it. We've made people wait 10 minutes already. Um, Eric and I are going to do this. We're going to go back and forth, uh, starting with uh, 15, all up to number one. Um, we have a lot. I have mine in alphabetical order. <laughs> oh, do you? You don't I have did. them ranked? No. Or you just want to go. Don't you usually rank them? Well, I I do, kind of.
1: So even with my letterbox, I usually put them in groups of like, okay, these are films I gave five stars yeah. to. These are films sure. that I gave four. Don't and half every of Obama.
0: year we rank them like go from fifteen to one? Well, we've been doing, like
1: we did the Barack Obama,
0: we've list. done that, which is yeah. what we – do you want I to do it that way? I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I just i mean, our number that, ones
1: are our number ones, but okay, we, re-
0: we can talk about our number ones at the end. But I'm fine with yes. no alphabetical. I—I I, I really, am. if you want to, um, if you
1: want to hold your number one till the end and remove it from the no, alphabet, just
0: go. We can go through alphabetical and then reveal at the end what, um what movie and then i'll make those graphics like the barack obama thing that i did last year too or, or I, the like I like I it when i use comic sans um <laughs> that, uh,
1: no, we shouldn't even say it's probably his staff that did it or, or whoever like well his... everyone
0: always says that but then someone was like him leaving out barbie almost like shows that he might have actually made this list himself instead of his staff being like here's what you need to tell people you watched and liked. um yeah. Okay, I need to write out my films then because uh, uh, I don't have them in alphabetical order. I guess I could just rearrange this list. Let me clone this list on Letterboxd. You're getting the sausages being made as we're making this episode because <coughs> Eric threw me for a loop because I didn't, maybe we just- A fruit maybe, loop. Maybe as much as as things change, things say, stay the same as how much prep did we do for this episode? Um, maybe None.
1: Nope, um, none none at all. And I'm just recounting good. to make sure I have 15 on there, because it's like, Did I put more than 15? Because I um, I think with what you were mentioning before, where things can change, I think lists are so interchangeable oh, in yeah, general sure. when it comes yeah. to, like, ultimately, my number one I, I feel strongly about. But at the same time, you know, there are some movies that are films that even aren't on my list that... Would be movies I'd probably watch more or go back to than say my number one. And it's not that those movies are better or worse. It's just that sometimes it's just the 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 film itself requires you know more of you to invest in. Like you're talking before on, you know, like going to the movies is is I think the best way to see some of these films that are a little bit more dense or serious in their subject matter when it comes to narrative storytelling. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to consider that way.
0: I agree. I wasn't listening to you because I was, um, (laughs) rearranging my list, but I, I definitely agree with everything you said, unless something was horrible. No, Um, no,
1: it was just, it was just more so to do with, Things are interchangeable and even when you find something that yes,
0: I agree. you yeah. you
1: like, it doesn't necessarily mean that like, you know, this num this my number one movie I'm gonna be watching, you know, thirty times in the next
0: you no, know no, no, ten
1: no. years. Yeah. You know Okay, I
0: think I have mine in alphabetical <laughs> order now, unless I don't know the alphabet. So uh, A B C D E F G H I J. I get this K, enough when Ivor comes to visit O-K. me. Let's let's not do this. Q R S T U V W X Y. Okay, I did it. Nailed it. Fucking crushed it. <laughs> um, look at that sausage made, and now we can continue. Uh so Eric, how did you want to go through it? Then, do should we just like list off? all of them and then just talk about our lists in, in general. Well, it'd and be we a shorter want... show if you want to be, a, if you want this episode to be, well, shorter. we want it to be like an hour. I, I like these episodes to be like an hour. And I feel like if we do our whole list and talk about some honor, let's start with honorable mentions first, right? Okay. Cause then we can okay. have a conversation about our honorable mentions. So I just want to shout out a couple, uh, movies that, um, didn't quite make my list. Uh, but, uh, I still wanted to shout out and I lost it now because I did this on the untitled. I'm such a fucking idiot.
1: <laughs> People, idiot. the
0: sausage is being made. We do <laughs> a, not take any time an in preparation what, for these episodes. Very They're free flowing.
1: They're, um, they stream of consciousness. We're, very, we're here.
0: You, you, I can't wait for you guys to see the new uh, r- reviews because then that is going to be prepped and like, and, and written it'd be funny and if it wasn't like, like it's like, yeah, you're, it's just, you're just rambling and like mumbling over something. <laughs> Um all right, I want to give a couple honorable mentions. Um I want to give an honorable mention to uh Asteroid City. Uh didn't quite make my list, but I think um Wes Anderson's um it, style keeps he keeps doubling and tripling down on his style, which I really kind of actually have come to love. Um they are live action cartoons, but um with heart. And um, I think Asteroid City has some of the funniest moments of the year, uh, some of the most surprising moments. Didn't quite make my top 15, but um, a very, very good movie. I also want to give a shout out to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Um, Also didn't quite make my list, but um, I think... Um, along with Spider Verse and and other animation, like I love the evolution of that style and, and the energy brought to that movie with Seth Rogen and um and his team kind of being involved. I thought the one of the best ensembles of the year with the that the four kids that play the the titular turtles. Um, I I really um, really really enjoyed it, um, but it didn't quite make my list. Um, I like movies, uh, a small Canadian film by uh, Chandler Lavac uh, didn't quite make my list, but um, I think is uh, something I wanna shout out for people whom I think it's on Netflix now, so you guys should be able to watch it. Uh, oh, in Canada. The US. Yeah, I don't know in the US how that works, but um, where it's available, but um, a, a wonderful uh, little Canadian movie that I think is very, very funny um, uh, and is for two young um people who who were young once and and were obsessed with movies it was kind of like oh, hard to watch at times but um really really good um and i think that's i have some other movies on here but nothing that needs to get a special shout out i Nick Cage in Dream Scenario i think that movie um is great as well and and just just uh, turned 60 Nick Cage um yeah happy birthday Nick and i wanted to give a shout out to that Uh, But those are going to be my honorable mentions. Have you been dreaming of me? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you have any honorable mentions, Eric?
1: I do, Matt. I do. Um, I have a Turkish film called About Dry Grasses, which I really, really liked quite a bit. I think the writing in particular and sort of focusing on this blowhard academic who basically um, is almost unbearable at times to watch and kind of digs his own grave Um, the writing of that character and his sort of storyline and looking at sort of you know the school structure of of this character's world I think it's just fascinating uh, to behold Um, Are You There God It's Me Margaret is a very charming little movie if you loved The Edge of Seventeen Um, I think you'll love this as well because Kelly Fremont Craig, uh, directed both films and she has such an incredible ear for working with, um, young adults and coming of age and the idea of figuring out who you are at a time and adapting a Judy Bloom novel and making it very contemporary or, or universal without it feeling like it's dated, um really speak so much to how good she is as a writer but also as a director and i think it's one of rachel mcadams best performances um as a mom who is trying to be both supportive of her adolescent daughter but also still try to maintain some of her own autonomy um really beautifully done i know this is one you did not like but i had a lot of fun with ferrari uh michael mann is one of those filmmakers where i just enjoy getting into the driver's seat or the passenger seat with him and exploring the world of people that are driven by obsession, things that excite them, things that they're meticulous and sort of thorough and completely just consumed by. And I think Michael Mann, you know, with this particular film, the way that he tells a story in terms of the biopic is very sort of narrow to one specific year. And I think that that is what biopics or more biopics need. You know, we've seen Oppenheimer as well this year kind of take traditional tropes that we're familiar with and telling, you know, historical figures lives and trying to make them less academic, academic and more cinematic um, I think Ferrari does this as well. And the last act of Ferrari is just utterly just completely exhilarating and 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 fascinating to watch, but also disturbing. Um, you mentioned I Like Movies. I think that that's a film that speaks to anybody that grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s and was renting videos and kind of felt like they knew it all, but also didn't. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. the growing up of somebody that is of that kind of generation but just mindset. Um very thoughtful in terms of uh what Chandler Levesque does with the character and not turning him into just simply a punching bag or making him so unbearable to watch and unlikable at times that it's it's hard to get through. He's prickly, but at the same time you understand aspects of who he is as a person and so that's just a really lovely movie uh perfect days vim vendors film i think one of his best uh movies ever really i i think like in terms of his career he he had such a high in the 70s with his road films with um you know and then going into the 80s with wings of desire in paris texas um but then for for whatever reason He kind of fell off a little bit, and this feels like a return to form, just a very simple vibe movie about a Tokyo toilet cleaner who is methodical, but also very much about sort of enjoying the moment. And it's life-affirming in many ways, and just kind of a very tranquil, easygoing movie, but you're just captivated by the vibe and the atmosphere that Vim Vendors creates. And then my last sort of honorable mention um is a Romanian film that's a very um challenging one, but uh nonetheless a great movie, RMN, which is basically about this small Romanian village that has a bread factory and nobody wants to work at the factory because the wages are are minimal wage. So they have to outsource jobs to places like in Africa and India. And then the uh townspeople are very xenophobic and don't like that. And it ends in this incredible single take during a towns meeting on this one shot that lasts about 20 minutes and there are multiple languages spoken throughout the film and the languages are coded in different colors. So you understand the languages that are being spoken into, into who and just really fascinating to look at how, you know what we think is just simply American or North American is also very much integrated into the the west of the west uh, the the west of the world versus the east. You know, mm-hmm. and and seeing Eastern Europe have or, or dealing with similar themes that are very much um, North American as well. I think like it opens up your eyes to how bigotry and intolerance works but also just the idea of seeing how characters interact with each other when it comes to you know leaving somewhere and then coming back oh. um so yeah so 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 a really great list of like a great year for international movies a great year for smaller films i think but ultimately you know any one of those films could have been on the list it was just A matter of like okay like is this is something that i want to put on or is this Mm -hmm. not something so yeah Yeah.
0: you'll hear about one of those movies uh very soon from me um yeah so let's do this let's go maybe five at a time let's do that sure i'll do five you do five i have because i have them sorted into i mean for doing 15 i think that's fairly easy so uh here are both eric and i's top 15 films of 2023 Uh, in alphabetical order so no particular order but we will at the end reveal what our favorite movie of the year was or our best movie of the year um so i'll go first uh here are my first five films of my top 15 of 2023 uh barbie blackberry a surprising one maybe for some the creator dungeons and dragons and guardians of the galaxy volume three so uh a very blockbustery focused first five for me that's just how it landed with the alphabetical order um but you got barbie in there which i still think is just a a, a magical movie that i can't believe fully works and and was as popular as it was and, and as good as it was um greta gerwig just a story about that my dad messaged uh, our family group chat the other day and my dad watched Barbie with my mom the other day uh, and he said going into it he had no real interest but um, he he was kind of said he was floored by it and I feel like the people who criticize the kind of simple feminism in the movie I feel like I don't know, but like that type, what that movie does such a good job is for the people like my dad in the world, like it's messages and stuff are very, um, not even just surface level, but very simple. But I think they're presented in such a way that is so creative and so smart and so fun that people, my dad is a feminist, but like it, it, it exposes Uh, to a wider audience, some of those messages that to some people, it's a very normal thing that we think about all the time. And we know all the messages that are in there. But I think for a lot of it, you know, uh, people in the US and around the world, maybe it isn't something that's talked about a lot. And I feel like, uh, or to someone like my dad, it's just when it's shown in a certain way like that, like it really landed with him. Uh, And I think same with me, like the movie just completely worked on an entertainment scale. I think its message really works. Um, I think all the performances are great. Ryan Gosling is just absolutely fantastic in that movie. It's so wonderful seeing him. You know, he's such a good comedic actor uh, and you forget about that. You remember things like Nice Guys and then even earlier in his career and stuff like that, too. Breaker
1: high, breaker high, (laughs)
0: baby. Um, And. And it's just such a uh, it's using IP and and, uh, to the best way you possibly can, much like the Lego movie, which I know people have uh, compared this movie to and stuff like that, like taking a big franchise or a big toy or a big IP and then doing something more with it um rather than just adapting it for some cash grab and i think it showed with the box office and 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 the passion people put behind that movie and and um with the o- barbenheimer thing like it, it is clearly one of the best movies of the year and i think it just works on 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 every single level uh so it's fantastic uh blackberry um really caught me off guard i i Matt Johnson um, is one of those guys that I started Rocky with me with the Dirties and 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 and, and things like that where I, I fully he he's a personality for sure and he's a passionate dude who knows a lot about movies and 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 loves them dearly but he had a personality that if you didn't know him personally or if you did know like any of that stuff or you just knew him through his personas on on these things he he could be you know he might not be everyone's cup of tea and i think at first when i saw the dirties and things like that i'm like i don't know if i fully like i don't know if this guy vibes with me um and then the more i watched of his stuff and especially nirvana the band the show and some of his his movies you know i uh, uh apollo what's it called uh, avalanche pa- apollo i forget what uh, the, the space movie he did i forget uh, the space landing movie um, anyways, but like Matt Johnson's other stuff, I, I think each thing, um, what am I? Project avalanche, o- operation, avalanche. Oper- um, operation, Avalanche. operation avalanche did like sort of worked for me, but then it was really Nirvana, the band, the show that really kind of go, okay, I get this guy. I get his humor. Uh, I get his personality is very in your face, but it works for this type of stuff that he's doing and he's a talented guy. And um, uh, that made me excited for Blackberry hearing that, you know, he took some time off from movies after operation avalanche. He was, he was going to do the uh, he was got a couple screenwriting gigs that I don't think really panned out uh, in Hollywood and things like that. But then seeing him do a smaller uh, Canadian production, but on a, it's a small Canadian production, but felt like it was on kind of a bigger scale because it was about Blackberry and rim and, um and uh uh Jim Balsilli um that I just I was totally going okay this has a potential and it's something different for him but then he brought his like trademark personality and style to that movie and it still had the same humor that you find in Nirvana the band the show but then with a, a really good Glenn Howerton performance as Jim Balsilli <laughs> just an unhinged Glenn Howerton which is great uh, but then you also like to see Jay Baruchel, fi- like he's a guy that doesn't work that often um, anymore. And he he only does very specific things. And and I always liked Jay Baruchel. So um, and then Matt Johnson inserting himself and in, in his personality into that role, too, um, into the movie. I think he just he absolutely crushed that movie. And it, it just brings that docu, you, you know, uh, docudrama but mockumentary style to it too that i think is is perfectly him and and he just absolutely nails that so um i think blackberry is is shockingly good um and an underrated movie because it's canadian i think so it didn't get i think a ton of exposure in the u.s i know they're pushing glenn howerton quite a bit and and things like that but um kind of went under the radar I think so um, Matt Johnson's great uh, I can't wait for the Nirvana the band the show the movie um, and uh, I, I I can't wait to see what he does next so uh, moving on to the creator I know one that you didn't really vibe with Eric and I think a movie that heavily relies on style uh, over substance but the style to me I liked so much it propelled it to just squeak into this list like I I really vibed with, you know, as dumb as the story gets in the last act, as as kind of as much as the actual plot beats and characters don't completely worked. I think the movie is so good on a technical level uh, and is so up my alley when it comes to using a different aspect ratio and the cinematography and the special effects and the title cards and like all of this stuff that worked so, so well. For me that it, it stuck with me like on a rewatch am i gonna notice some of those flaws a little bit more and maybe it falls out of here maybe but as of that first watch um i just so thoroughly enjoyed that movie as a vibe when we're talking about a vibe movie um i, I it, it propelled it into making this list i think it's probably lower on this list than some of the other things but uh, i think it's the thing at risk most of of falling out but to be in my top 15 at the end of the year is showcases how much i really vibed with the style of that movie so um i really uh really kind of liked it um another one that um i i'm shocked is on here because i wouldn't have never guessed that like if you were saying our most anticipated films of last year or going into last year is dungeons and dragons um a movie that completely off my radar it was during that time where i was having a mental breakdown and i didn't really go to the theaters and stuff like that so i i came onto it late but um i fucking loved that movie i i was so surprised by it and maybe partially was because i was so surprised by it but like uh i would watch a hundred of these movies and i want them to turn this into a franchise and like uh and like a D campaign i thought the practical effects were a ton of fun i thought the humor was absolutely uh great the action sequences were surprisingly like entertaining and and engaging um i think uh it had a ton of great humor a lot of um using the concept or the easter eggs of 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 a dungeons and dragons game in the best possible way it didn't feel like a lazy reference here a lazy reference there or just taking a, a cash grab like maybe the previous Dungeons and Dragons movies or, or properties were but like it really felt like they took what people loved about playing D&D and kind of incorporated it into this fun thing and it had a tone that a lot of D&D games do because you're, you're creating the story as you go and people can create these characters and these moments as they're playing and do ridiculous things and funny things and and build relationships and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like they just absolutely nailed that, um, in the movie. And I think, you know, you have great, I thought Michelle Rodriguez was great. Hugh Grant is great in the movie. Chris Pine is great. Um, great cameo from possible best actor nominee (laughs) and front runner. The maestro Um, himself. Yeah. Like it, it just absolutely caught me off guard. So like, um, at movie, um, and and Jarnathan um is it Jarnathan shout out to Jarnathan yeah yeah yeah. um I think I just absolutely loved um and then Guardians Volume 3 um speaking of a, a weird time again a movie that maybe uh just hit me at the right place right time I mean I'm a huge fan of the Guardians movies from James Gunn um Uh, The MCU, you know, we just recorded our Echo review. Uh, You'll be able to get that soon. So we can't talk about that quite yet. But uh, or you might be able to get it now. I got to check the embargo. I forget. Um, But we won't talk about it here just in case. But uh, MCU in a weird spot. But Guardians, I think, was one of the bright spots of last year with Loki season two, where um, I felt like Rocket's story um, really kind of landed with me, the emotional core that movie really landed it actually hit me very very hard in that last act um and it just hit me at that point because it was the first movie i saw coming back after not going to the movies for like months because of some mental health issues i was having and and i had a really bad moment trying to see john wick um where i had to like leave the theater because i i was having an uh, anxiety attack a panic attack during the movie so Sitting there, it was such a cathartic experience that I was able to sit there and enjoy myself. I was watching a Marvel movie, and, and Marvel movies, you know, I, I as a seminal kind of thing in my, you know, from two thousand seven till now, as a as a, a young man to an old man now. Um, that. And they were in a place where people weren't really hot on them, but it was so nice that that hit me at the right time. And I really, really loved it. Um, I thought it was uh, great. So those are the first five movies on my top 15 of the year.
1: Well, I'm also going to add Blackberry to my honorable mentions because I did not put it on uh, my list or my honorable mentions initially. And I agree, Glenn Howerton's amazing. I love the way that. Matt Johnson kind of hid the cameras from the actors and made it almost more like theater. Actually it has something very similar in relation to a movie that is on my top 15. So um, there will be one in the first five that repeats. So I won't spend too much time breaking it down. Um, So my first five of, of the top 15 are all of us strangers, asteroid city, Barbie, Bo is afraid, and the boy and the heron. So um, just quickly to get Barbie out of the way, I agree with everything that you said, and I like that it's both blunt, but still elegant in how it talks about feminism, but also sort of, you know, how even men are having to conform to gender standards and just the idea that a movie That still is IP in a way, you know, you even talked about BlackBerry, you know, it it kind of felt like 2023 was the year where IP was kind of being sold in narrative storytelling that's both a biopic or commercial fare, but had something to say. So you had something like Barbie, which I think was the most successful of, of the films, but then you had Blackberry, you had Air, you had Flaming Hot, you know, all these movies that were trying to take the product that you're familiar with and, you know, whether they were successful or not, I think, you know, to a certain degree, Blackberry and, and Barbie were the most successful of these films. They were trying to have the creative, the person who comes in to make something more than what you'd expect it to be. And with Barbie, it really kind of was surprising to see what Greta Gerwig and her partner in life and also her uh, writing partner, Noah Baumbach were able to get away with in terms of what that script was saying about, you know, not only the patriarchy and feminism, but also, you know, um, corporations and how we treat each other and what is considered normal and by that standard what we consider to continue, you know, to keep in sort of the hierarchy of of sort of this the standard. And you know, someone having to venture outside of what they think is their perfect world in order yeah. to find themselves. I think all of that works really well. Like Margot Robbie is unbelievable as as Barbie and you know, like obviously Gosling, we you, you just talked about him. Gurig tapped into you know both the comedic and the dramatic side in Ken's performance, and you really do feel for somebody you probably never even yeah. thought twice about in terms of a character. Um, and that's that's how amazing Ryan Gosling is as an actor. And you know there are just some really wonderful little moments. I think the Billy Eilish song. Is up there in terms of of you know movie uh soundtracks and songs. Like it, it kind of feels like it's adjacent away to, you know, Sarah McLaughlin's song in Toy Story 2. Um, yeah, it's just one of those films that so much could have gone wrong, but somehow it all fell into place and it all kind of worked. Um, and I think ultimately what it comes down to at the end of it is. Greta Gerwig you know and and you look at what she did with Lady Bird and Little Women and and now this she's become one of the most important directors working today and you know now she's at this level that feels very much on par with you know a Spielberg and so it'll be really interesting to see where she goes next and um it's exciting also to think that you know hopefully Barbie will just be its own movie and it won't get sequel after sequel. And also just what it inspired in people, you know, we talked a lot about it, you know, with the Barbenheimer stuff, but to see people dress up and, you know, go out with friends and support, you know, the theatrical experience. I think that kind of just, it made the summer. And I think the whole year really in terms of the box office, but also just the interactive experience. Um, you mentioned, you know, what uh, Asteroid City was in your honorable mentions. Yeah, there's, there's something about Asteroid City where
0: I think you're like the biggest fan of it. I've, I've like,
1: yeah, I, I don't know, I, I kind of really love like the it, movie, yeah, and and the more I it. think about it, I mean, I don't know if it'll, if it'll be a, like a, the, the best of Anderson's films, but I, I like the idea that he's dealing with. You know, the things that he he's been focused on or or obsessed with, with, you know, the idea of grief and melancholy and trying to find other people that connect with how you feel. Because even though you can talk about the symptom or give it a, a diagnosis, it's another thing to be able to find some sort of connection with somebody else and you see that interplay beautifully done with jason schwartzman and scarlett johansson's characters in in this but also the cosmic elements of this story i think are
0: the alien reveal is so great dude
1: is amazing and 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 i love the sort of otherworldly stop-motion animation style that he's implying here but even the movie within a movie within a movie you know like the 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 stage play the televised version the actual version and the layers of it you know he's been playing with that since really grand budapest and you know that movie i think is probably his best film if not you know his second best movie because you know fantastic mr fox is also up there but there's just something about this film that feels both completely what you'd expect wes anderson to make but there's another level of it in which it is opened up to the universe and sort of exploring a world that he isn't very much open to like this is the closest thing to getting a science fiction movie from wes anderson and i just love that so much um and i just think that it's so much fun and funny and maybe the best Roadrunner uh, oh, cartoon yeah, I've ever seen. Yeah. That's really <laughs> um, good. yeah, so just a great, great, great movie, and and I think it's going to be one of those films that, like over time, people will appreciate. More, yeah, maybe.
0: Yeah, because I feel because like it he's... was kind of underappreciated this year. Yeah,
1: bit. and and I think also even just coming off of um, the French Dispatch, which I was a little bit underwhelmed by because of the anthology yeah. structure, this kind of felt a little bit more contained uh, even though it was also playing within sort of multiple and, and again, Margot Robbie, you know, like that one moment between Robbie and Swordsman, like, you know, talking about the artifice yeah. of, you know, the worlds of both Barbie and asteroid city of being, you know, fake, but still finding humanity in places that you would think are artificial. Um, All of us strangers I I I knew I was probably going to like it because I've really liked Andrew Haig's other films, Forty Five Years, uh, and 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 Weekend and Lean on Pete, but this movie, what I was most surprised about was how it takes a supernatural st- story idea that is very much more horrific, but also kind of Twilight Zone esque, and turns it into something that's emotionally devastating and emotionally earnest and the idea of it not being just simply a coming out story to your parents but you know whether they accept you or reject you but just being able to do it and that's the point of the narrative is that you know this character feels whole being able to finally tell his parents that mysteriously reappear as though no time has passed and the home that he grew up in he's this uh, Andrew Scott plays this um, London screenwriter who goes back home and finds that his parents are there and starts seeing them and getting even to though they passed with away
0: correct yes yeah.
1: yes yeah they, they were in a, a car accident in in the 80s and you know, not much has changed and there's lines given the parents are played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell and Jamie Bell in particular has this really beautiful line of, you know, regret and saying that I'm sorry that I never, you know, came to you and comforted you when you were crying in your room. Um, And you see how, you know, that had such an effect on who Andrew Scott's character, Adam is as a grown-up in terms of like, completely hiding himself from the world and keeping isolated from potentially falling in love and finding love. And, you know, there's this suggestion that there will be love because he has this sort of connection with Paul Meskell's, uh character, Harry, and the sex scenes are very intimate and um, graphic, but help to tell the story of who these characters are, especially how Adam is so kind of, reserved and needs time to warm up where Harry is you know younger and more open and kind of you know willing to kind of push Adam out of his comfort zone so it's just so beautifully made and there's still moments in the film that are haunting in not a scary way but but in a way that is kind of ominous and atmospheric and it's so beautifully shot and composed and the way that reflections are caught in certain moments are incredible and all four of the leads are great um so it's just yeah it's just one of those movies where i thought a lot about it after watching it and just how you know it's it's it really is like, it's like paul Mescal's like that guy now It's like anything that, that he's in, I'll watch. Um, but also just the idea of how Andrew Haig is one of those guys that just, you think you're going to be okay. And then he just destroys you.
0: Yeah. That's why I, so I do really want to watch it and it's one that I missed. Um, and I haven't, there's been so many times where I've hovered over it because we have screeners for it for voting and I, I that's one i do want to watch this week and want to make sure i watch because like i i've been hovering over it but i think it's one of those ones where i'm like am i do i want to be emotionally devastated right now and a lot of yeah. the times was like i'm not in that mood or that headspace so i've kind of put it off even though i do know it's probably going to be great and i do really want to see it and i know my wife really wants to watch it too but um, I just, I haven't watched it yet. So that's great to hear your thoughts on it. Cause we've briefly talked about it, but I haven't heard your full thoughts. So cool. Nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also just interesting to see that you have a British filmmaker taking a Japanese novel and translating it into a British sort of text. Cool. Um, because, again, like that Japanese story is. Yeah, I know. You told me it's much a little darker. More horrific yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I know. Yeah. What
0: I've, I've read about it. It sounded interesting, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so very, very good movie. Um, Bo is afraid. I know you did not like this
0: movie. But, but I appreciate it, though.
1: Yes. So. The ang- the level of anxiety that Ari Aster brings to each and every one of his films. You think that, like, there's a ceiling but he finds a way to break that ceiling and then just torment you even more. And he has a basically the perfect, movie, some
0: might say
1: the, a very ballsy movie, Uh dickish, if you will, at times. Um, and he has the perfect lead for this kind of unpredictable quality of a man that is going through maybe the worst breakdown of his life. And also kind of reconciling with, the trauma of his childhood and how his mother treated him, and in, in later scenes played by Patti Lapone, who should be a part of the uh, Oscar conversation for uh, supporting actress, but is not, unfortunately. And is but it's now it's, part of the
0: MCU, though.
1: <laughs> but yes, yes. And, and this is the thing like, I, I feel that this movie, you know, it's a three hour anxiety, Freudian nightmare, not an easy sell a film that actually played in IMAX, that played, you know, in, you know, multiplexes. I think, like I said, with Asteroid City, 10, 15 years from now, people will look back at this and it'll be on best of lists Yeah, Uh, in the same way that, you know, a lot of people compared this to um, you know Charlie Kaufman's work. You know, mm-hmm. with with Synecdoche, New York. You know, when when Synecdoche, New York came out in two thousand eight, a lot of people were people weren't
0: ready for it. You know? They weren't.
1: They weren't. And now everybody references Synecdoche, New York as one of the greatest, you know, movie directorial debuts, but also the film within a film or, you know, like the the artists creating a world of their own to conceal themselves in. And so I feel Bo is afraid will fall into that a little bit where, you know, like, I, I think also what you were saying, where I, I think you need to be in a mood for this movie, or at least oh, you yeah. need to prepare yourself to be ready to well, experience. I watched that coming out
0: of my mental breakdown too, and that was an <laughs> experience, so. Yeah,
1: yeah. and, and Astor's just one of those guys where, I think he's he's one of the true, truly great American filmmakers who's willing to push, you know, things to a level that you weren't even expecting. And there's some absurdist humor in this movie that I, I think it has one of the greatest sight gags. (laughs) <laughs>
0: ever a lot of them i mean it's, but there's it's, one in
1: particular that we already made a joke yeah, about yeah. with being ballsy where like the way it sets it up it's definitely a swing first,
0: for sure the
1: first part and the where where it sort of lands um is incredible and i could not stop laughing during that reveal and then also just again where it goes in the final act the only thing i think that slows it down a little bit is is that sequence where He's watching his story on the stage.
0: That's exactly what I thought of, too. It, it does kind of crawl. But that's
1: also bit. interesting because a lot of the cast in this movie, you know, from Parker Posey to theater, Nathan yeah. Lane to Patty Lapone are theater people. Yeah. And so you're getting what feels like an extension of that in terms of the theatricality for of the sure. performances and sort of, you know, like even like the, 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 the naked birthday stab boy, oh, then, yes. you know, the, yeah. Hilarious <laughs> is, is incredible. And, and I do think Ari Aster has a very fucked up sense of humor. Oh yeah, absolutely. makes I, I me get, laugh.
0: I will take a hundred movies from that guy, even if they don't work for me uh, over middle of the road stuff. Like I'll, much like we we not gonna mention Saltburn on this episode, but again, I, I filmmakers that I'm like, okay, you're swinging. It might be a swing and a miss, and I think Bo is afraid it's more. Or interesting. are swinging than, Dick, yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, Bo is afraid it's more interesting than Saltburn. But like, just because I didn't like those movies doesn't mean that I'm like gonna write off the filmmaker of being someone that I'm like, no, their next movie I'm still first in line, and I really really want to see it. So uh, Ari Aster is one of those guys. Like I rewatched Midsommar. I finally watched the director's cut this year, um which I think even improves that movie even more, even though it does make it absurdly long. <laughs> but um it, it he's great man and yeah i i I appreciate that movie even if it didn't completely work for me. so I understand that
1: yes, and uh the boy and the heron, um Miyazaki returns out of self-imposed retirement. I've seen the movie twice now and it gets better on a second viewing and I got to say that English language dub fan fucking task. I,
0: I you know what the Ghibli dubs have always been pretty good right but, but man, like, Robert Pattinson is that's a That's great. Freak I do want as the heron. So I I I like the movie quite. We reviewed it so you guys yeah. can go um listen to our review from from Tiff but and um sorry to jump in Eric like, no, no, I like I really like the movie it didn't quite make my top 15 or even top 20 or anything like that. But like, uh, I do really want to watch the English dub because I, I I found the original um, the premiere at TIFF to be hard to follow a little bit. So I, I, I I think watching the dub will help that just for my simple, a simple mind Um, as well as uh, just, I think just seeing it a second time, grasping, uh, knowing what you're getting into grasping the story of, of where it goes and things like that. I do think seeing it a second time, um would help, and I'm glad to hear that the English dub is good because I um the cast is fantastic. So yeah,
1: yeah, uh yeah. It's just I don't know. I I, I love getting lost in Miyazaki's worlds, and I just feel like even when he's repeating himself or building on something that he's already done in previous movies, like for sure. Spirited Away, like I mean, I think is is amazing, and My Neighbor Totoro is is incredible um but this just yeah it's it feels like okay when and the wind rises like if he had finished on that that would have been perfect but this as a an epilogue because he might be making another movie um
0: a sequel to nausicaa is that what people said it might yeah
1: so it just to me we're lucky to have him you know he's in his 80s and you know for him to come back and make this really weird adventure tale with you know, a half man bird thing. <laughs> and, you know, the idea of what even he's saying about yeah art and how we need to break down the past in order to build new things and create our own stories, I think has so much relevance now more than ever, because it does feel like we just continually build up the same thing and keep what's decaying or what should be torn apart and move on you know he's not a he's not nostalgic and in, and in, in some ways he is it's it's fascinating because some of the autobiographical elements of you know him growing up in you know post-world war ii japan and things like that are there but he's also saying like you can't just rely on the things that have been built by generations before yeah. you need to continue to evolve and make your own choices and you know you have to let go of the past in order to become your own person Absolutely. um all that stuff i just think is really wonderfully done and, yeah and re- it's a beautiful movie that way
0: yeah when you gave me your interpretation of the film it made me appreciate it a bit more which makes me want to go rewatch it again so yeah I think it is something that I will revisit once I revisit a lot of Ghibli movies so uh looking forward to that okay I is that that's your five right yeah so okay cool I will go uh moving on to my next five so remember this is alphabetical order everyone and then we'll go over our favorite film of the year at the very end so my next five films are are, are uh how to blow up a pipeline the holdovers the killer Oppenheimer, and Perfect Days. Uh, so starting with How to Blow Up a Pipeline, um, a movie that's stuck with me now for a year and a half almost or uh, or more. Like We saw it at TIFF
1: last- In 2022.
0: Yes. So now we're in 2024 and I'm mentioning it on my best of 2023. And it's a movie that- you know, I've been eager to rewatch. I haven't yet, but it's stuck with me that entire time, I think, uh, has unbelievable pacing, uh, fantastic performances. Uh, I love the grainy cinematography. I love the story structure. Um, I love the, uh, what it's trying to say. I, I just think it, it, it's such a underrated movie. I think that like really kind of came and went and, and not very many people paid attention to, but, Um, I think it's one of the best thrillers I've seen in a long time. Like a sweat, like you don't really have. I hate using that, like, clinch at the edge of your seat, your palms are sweaty kind of thing. But like, my taint was clinched. Damn it. Um, just way to ruin it. Um, uh, no, but I just think it's a fantastic little movie that I feel like was criminally underwatched. So, um, I think you all should watch it. I don't want to even say much more, but, um, Uh, it's just very much that story structure it's it's grainy filmic i don't know if it was shot on film or if it it looks like it was but um i just i love the look of it um an intense movie i think with a great twist or a great like last act um uh just a fantastic movie i don't even want to say more so go please go watch how to blow up a pipeline it's fantastic Uh, The Holdovers, Um, uh, Alexander Payne's uh, uh, new Christmas classic, I'll say, new holiday classic. Like it's not often, you know, we've had this conversation on the podcast before of like what is the most recent Christmas classic, like a movie you know you'll watch every holiday season for the rest of your life or something. Maybe not every holiday, but like there are those movies that are just comfort movies. I don't necessarily think you can throw on the holdovers like you would Home Alone or Elf or or, or Jingle All the Way or something like that. That's <laughs> kind of just like background noise during the holidays. You know what I mean, Eric? But like yeah. but the Holdovers is one of those holiday films that I, I I will find myself either every year or every other year like sitting down and watching it. Like I think it has such a fantastic Paul Giamatti uh performance. Um I think um Dominic Sessa is a newcomer um I can't believe like this is his first thing that he's acted yep. in right he is unbelievable uh Divine Joy uh Randolph it, it is is fantastic um I just think the movie as a whole um uh, has such a wonderful like it commits to an aesthetic and a style to make it feel like a film ripped out of the 1970s and um I'm very much someone who appreciates an aesthetic and appreciates a commitment to that. And, um, everything from, it sounds like a single channel mono mix of the film for, for a lot of it. Um, the look with the grainy cinematography again, um, uh, I just, again, the holiday vibe of it, it's melancholy, but it still feels uplifting and, 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 even though there's sad moments. And um, I just, uh, I I think it is fantastic. And I know we just passed the holiday season, but it is one of those that um, I think you could watch at any time of the year too. Like you're not going to be like a psychopath watching elf in may or whatever, but like (laughs) Like if you how the Grinch stole Christmas, the Ron Howard version (laughs) yeah, in July or something (laughs) like that, like, but I think if you watch the holdovers at any time of year, you could, even though it does take place over the holidays, but, um, uh, what a, a wonderful movie that I think will be a holiday classic for, um, many, many people, um, which you don't get those very often. I I think so, uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, the killer, David Fincher's the killer, uh, a movie that I think is hilarious, uh, thrilling, um, uh, with a great score, a great lead performance, um, uh, a great, popcorn movie uh, but still saying a lot about you know capitalism and 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 you know and and things like that but and many many other things but um i think a fincher movie that you know you can listen to our review so i don't want to repeat a lot of stuff but like that might not feel important to a lot of people or might feel like it's just oh okay it was entertainment and entertainment only uh, but I think that's okay. I think it's so fully entertaining and I still think it does have things to say. Um, But I think it's so wholly entertaining that it skyrocketed to very close to the top of my list uh, of best films of the year. Like uh, it has all the Fincher stuff that you're looking for with, you know, a Resner Ross score and great cinematography. Um, um, but then you have this very funny movie like a darkly comedic movie and it's underbelly and like it's uh but then you get like an action sequence the florida action sequence which is just one of the most brutal things uh i've seen as well like the movie is brutal but it's still very funny um and uh i you can listen to our whole review but um i absolutely love that movie um oppenheimer um one that uh, i know eric you're you're mixed on you still like it but it it didn't quite make your 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 top movies of the year but i i definitely fell into the barbie and oppenheimer hype and really uh (coughs) excuse me (coughs) i'm getting choked up (coughs) i need some sweet cherry betsy um as many chemicals in this as there is in the atom bomb probably um but i uh i think nolan some of the things you said you didn't like about the movie of him just kind of going back to the well of things that he's done uh before kind of reusing things he's done in his other movies and shit like that like that stuff all really worked for me as like a greatest hits of nolan um, and I feel like it, uh, ha- Killian Murphy is, is, is fantastic. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Is great. Alden Ehrenreich is very, very good. I mean, the whole ensemble cast, every white dude you've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> if you're their- white middle-aged and you're not yeah, in that movie, fire your agent. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I, I just think it was after Tenet, uh, more of a return to form because Tenet I think was, uh, re- really not great. And yeah. Peloton with, instructors. Uh, yeah. Know. I'm with that Peloton instructor <laughs> on that one. Uh, but Oppenheimer, I, I I really do think like he, he, he went back to the well and, and, but he went back to the things he was very good at. And I think he, he executed on those very, very well. I think um, again, like a lot of his movies pacing um, uh, both wild, but like also for a movie that's very dialogue heavy, just has like a, a relentless pace to it. Um, a movie I've wanted to revisit but haven't yet just because I have so many other things I still got to watch that uh, the Trinity uh, sequence, um, Trinity test, uh, I think is from uh, the Matrix. Spectacular um, in IMAX. Um, I I think it's a very, very good movie um, and I think uh, I'm glad to see Nolan um, kind of rebound after Tenet um and I'm excited to see what he does next so uh for a guy that I was kind of down and out on like I was getting kind of sick of him I was kind of being like dude you're not the savior of cinema like during the pandemic era of being like you know kind of I'm holier than thou put me on a pedestal and not that he he has this huge ego, but it's almost this like casual ego that is even more annoying. (laughs) Like, so it's like, uh, I know I'm great, but I, I don't even have this big ego. I, I, but like, but he does, but he does. And it just, it it annoyed the piss out of me. So like, I was someone who was like, you know, I probably, I'm surprised Oppenheimer worked as well as it did. And he kind of won me back because I did kind of have that kind of poo poo to Nolan uh, kind of phase during the pandemic and during Tenet. Um, and then Perfect Days. Uh, Eric already talked about it uh, very eloquently and, and beautifully during his honorable mentions, but uh, I agree with everything he said. Uh, a quiet movie, but with such a, a a fantastic lead performance. I love the structure and the repetitiveness of, of a, a person's daily routine and how you learn so much through not much being said at all right like just through his routine and how he goes about his day and um and you you try to pitch this movie to people and be like yes it's a it's a very quiet movie about an elderly man who cleans toilets in Tokyo (laughs) and you're like and it's but I'm like but trust me just like be mesmerized by it just buy into it and and it's a beautiful movie um i i think the cinematography is great um um and it's just like you said a vibe movie you just if you buy into it and just go through this guy's routine and see how things throw off his routine and see the the exposition they give you through just this guy living his life and just going about his job and interacting with people but not really saying anything at all um it is is magical it, it's it's such a wonderful movie that i it's so hard to pitch it to people but i want more people to watch it i know it's not even out yet in canada it's february 16 right yeah yeah so it's not even out yet but like i i want to tell people to go see it but it is a hard movie to pitch to people so but i hope people really love it because i was completely caught off guard by it um, it was one of the first things, if not the first thing we watched at TIFF or I watched at TIFF, um, or one of them. Yeah. And, um, I just, I was, I was floored. It, it's, it's fantastic. So it, it's in there for me. So those are my next five. All right. There's a
1: couple of things that overlap, so I won't We're spend too much in. time. Yeah. With, uh, with going through them, but, um, let's go through the next five, uh, the first slam dunk, um, how to blow up a pipeline. John Wick, Chapter 4, The Killer, and Killers of the Flower Moon. Go for it. So, yes. Yeah. So, uh, First Slam Dunk, one of the. I, movies... I really want to see it.
0: I don't oh, to watch
1: it You will love it. Like, I honestly think you will love this movie. This is the best sports movie of, of 2023. It takes a pivotal game and. Does the flashback thing, but does the flashback thing in a way that, like you were talking about how to blow up a pipeline, makes it still vital in in the moment? I think both of those films manage to find a way to create the moment in question, the build up to what, you know, accumulates to the moment they're all waiting for or planning for or prepping for. And it still is able to get away from that and show you character development through flashback, through, you know, retrospection. And it never lessens the intensity or the excitement of what's going on in the present moment. And finding a way to do that as a balancing act for both of those movies, I think, is incredible because as soon as you have a flashback in a movie, it cuts the tension of what's going on in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think that was one of my biggest problems and I know a lot of people liked it or were, were surprised by it. Not that it was like on people's best of lists or anything, but like you look at something like knock at the cabin. Mm-hmm. I think what kind of ruined that movie for me besides
0: ripping it, you away from the titular cabin.
1: Yeah. And besides M night Shyamalan being an air fryer salesman um, is yeah, that, that you're, you need to be in the moment you need to have the tension continue to mount within this, the environment you're in. So that can be death to a movie like that. That's built on suspense. That's built on excitement. That's built on, you know, you're watching this game unfold. You're watching these people commit an act of terrorism, you know, considered to some, and then an act of rebellion to others and, you know, a political statement. So both of those movies just beautifully balance those two things. And and yeah, First Slam Dunk is just incredible how to blow up a pipeline um still thinking about it. I got to watch it again. It, it wasn't as effective in terms of like when you watch it in a theater. Yeah. It's something else. When you're watching it at a screen or at home, it does take away a little bit, but that doesn't mean it's still not effective because it really is just incredibly well orchestrated and the score, the way that that plays into the pacing of the movie. And it has something to say. Like it just, it's one of those films where it's not just, you know, we talked, we've talked before on, on this show and on other episodes where things are try hard or they're, they're trying to say something and they don't, actually say it they just come off as being full of themselves this actually has something to say about how we've treated the environment and what we've left behind for future generations and how people are radicalizing themselves in order to do something about it because we've gotten to the point where nothing is being done so all of those things are are there and and just it's such a really potent piece of filmmaking and and for it to play at TIFF and to have seen it in the platform section just really well done. Um John Wick Chapter 4 this is a movie I was not expecting mm-hmm. to like. I wasn't either. Yeah. Seen it three times, could That's watch it again. Crazy. I think it's one of the most I think it's the best of the franchise. I think it's the most engaging the 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 oh. fighting is incredible. I think the cinematography um some of the the best and i don't mean to sound like this is like is a negative i think this is the best looking theatrical dtv movie i've ever seen you know even having someone like scott atkins in it who's known for dtv movies like it just plays so well and and i think donnie yen is actually kind of awesome in this film as kind of a reluctant assassin and the final duel is a lot of fun. It's very video game esque. There's one sequence in particular that's been described as like hotline Miami. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a lot of fun. And I like the callbacks to silent era cinema as well. And the stunts are incredible. Um, just a really good time in the editing as well. Like there's that one shot that's an homage to Lawrence of Arabia. Um, just it, it works. I think. It really is the one film of this franchise that works. And I know a lot of people, you know, like the second, and then some people really love the first. But as ridiculous as this thing has gotten, I kind of loved how far removed it was mm-hmm. from that first film. Um, the killer you already mentioned, I, I I think the greatest strength of that film is its sense of humor. Yeah. Um it's it's more of a comedy than you'd expect it to be and it almost feels like it's winking at the audience and saying like I know this is who I am as a filmmaker David Fincher being, you know, very meticulous um you know shooting Fifty takes for one scene, or a hundred takes for one scene, and he's kind of playing that into the the mythology of the hitman. But it also weirdly feels like it's this metaphor for erectile dysfunction, because yeah. you have a character who talks a big game, but when he shoots, he fails miserably. <laughs> and the yeah. whole time he's cleaning up his mess, and it's kind of incredible to see this, you know guy who talks a big game but ultimately fucks up as soon as you know he commits the act and you know watching Fassbender go from you know place to place it has a sitcom kind of feel to it obviously even the aliases being sitcom names um, just a very funny movie but then it can still be Dark and disturbing, you know. You look at the sequence with Dolores, yeah. um, in particular, just really brutal. well done, really brutal, yeah. Um, but also still very funny, um, and just condemning of places like work and Amazon and things like that. And it's, you know, you, the the hitman that you pay for is what you get, and that's the, that's what Michael Fassbender's character sure. really is. Um, and then Killers of the Flower Moon, I. I This is one of those films where I think I'll love it even more over time. Um, But I think this movie, and you're talking about Oppenheimer, both films are looking at historical moments. One, you know, is more about complicity and sort of the guilt of America had in terms of how it's basically turned away from an indigenous community that were being murdered um, and a genocide Oppenheimer deals with not only the creation of the atomic bomb, but the fallout afterwards and the guilt and regret that Killian Murphy's character that Oppenheimer has. And Nolan has talked a lot about how he didn't want to show Hiroshima and Killers of the Flower Moon feels like the same thing where it's you know it shows the violence it shows the horror of you know these white men moving in on um you know these indigenous women and trying to take the property back once they've married in and then poisoning the women um but it's also trying to reconcile with like how do you tell a story like this how do you make a narrative about someone's death or in this case many people's death and not just simply make it as entertainment or awards bait and and so the movie is continually reconciling with that and struggling to figure it out and i like that it's ever evolving i mean even from the script stage it was supposed to be a story about the fbi coming in and saving the day and almost being a western in that way Where with this version of it, it's revisionist in terms of being a Western, but it's from the inside out. And you have this weird, toxic love story between Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone's characters, but it's still not really a love story because you see how pathetic DiCaprio's character is and how just... Basically, a pushover he is to his menacing uncle, who's basically the white devil played by Robert De Niro and great performances by everybody other than Brendan Fraser, who's miscast completely, even in a very small role. But the first two acts of, of Killers of the Flower Moon are really potent in terms of telling a narrative that a lot of people in America don't know, should know and it's embarrassing and shameful that we don't um so yeah just a, a really well done film and it is a long movie and you do feel it a little bit but it's yeah. not the pacing Thelma Schoonmaker's editing like she she knows how to make a movie like this move and mm-hmm. so you get to where you need to go um in that third and final act and you you get I there and, and Robbie Robertson's cinema yeah. uh, uh, score is incredible yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I do want to watch it. That runtime has been the thing that's scared me away. So I will, I will, will, will get to it. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, our final five each, right? Yep. And then I think both of our number ones are in our final five. So we might as well just reveal those as we read. <coughs> Cause I think you're, I know what yours is and I know it's in the, it's probably your last movie. Yep. Um, so I will go through my five, which will also talk about my number one of the year. And I'm still debating on what I should because my two potential ones are in this final five. And I don't know what to put my stamp on. But I think I'm going to go this way. So here are my final final five uh, picks for my top 15 of the year. And I think we're going to have a lot of crossover in this one. So you might be able to just jump in right away, Eric, and, and sure. see your five. So I'm going to go with my final five poor things spider-man across the spider-verse theater camp wonka and the zone of interest very different (laughs) movies all five of those (laughs) uh but those are my five so poor things spider-man uh, across the Spider-Verse, Theater Camp, Wonka, and Zone of Interest. And I think... you Go ahead and say yours, because I think three of those are... Three the of them
1: are in yeah. that yeah. Uh, grouping. So my final five are May, December, Past Lives, Poor Things, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and The Zone of Interest. And The Zone of Interest is my favorite film of 2023.
0: And Poor Things is mine. I'm going to go with Poor Things. It, it was between... Across the Spider-Verse and Poor Things, but I think because Across the Spider-Verse being a part one, um, still an incredible movie, um, but you know Eric and I have a vendetta against part one movies, so <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to go with Poor Things as my film of the year. Uh, so yeah, we can talk about that. I'll talk about the two that aren't crossover first, and you can maybe do that, and then we'll go over the three that that aren't um, across Yeah, the verse. <laughs> So I'll go with theater camp and, and Wonka two movies. Again, I probably wouldn't have guessed would be on this uh, top 15 um, at the beginning of the year uh, theater camp being a sun a film we saw at Sundance, which then got acquired by searchlight and, and, and kind of again, came out at a weird time where it sort of just came and went. Well, it opened um, the same
1: weekend in Canada as, as Oppenheimer. Yeah. And, and Barbie. And Barbie.
0: Right. So like, I think that just killed like dead on arrival um, basically because of that. I think it probably found a little bit of an audience when it came to Disney plus and Hulu. Um, And I think still very much a movie where if you were in those groups of being a theater kid or having a sibling who was a theater kid or maybe worked backstage on theater or just were in the arts world, like that movie I think really hits. And I think it's one of the funniest movies of the year. Again, I love that mockumentary style. I think Jimmy Tatro is fucking hilarious. Um, I think the music in the movie is great. Um, I think a movie that will hit very, very hard for people who have any connection to even just camp. It doesn't necessarily need to be theater camp, but but theater kids will really really go ape shit for this because like i really if you haven't watched it and you have any connection to the theater world i really do think you should because like uh i i thought it was fucking hilarious it's my wife i think it's in her top five movies of the year she loves it um i think it's a really underrated little gem that kind of disney picked up for a good amount of money but it just didn't work out for them um unfortunately but i think it'll be a good streaming title so it's not something that i would have liked to see it in a theater because i'm glad that they gave it a a theatrical release but i do think it works uh really well on streaming um and then wonka a movie i've seen twice now uh the only two movies on this list that i've seen twice are poor things and wonka so i think that's very telling as well um I think Wonka um, had everything, not everything going against it. But I think with its casting with Timothy Chalamet, uh, with its marketing, um, not really marketing that it was a musical and just giving a very generic, p- kind of poorly put together trailer. Um, and then the one kind of thing that kept me optimistic was Paul King being the director of Wonka, of being like, well, the both Paddington movies are amazing and and i i love the tone of those movies and it the o- optimism in those movies and just the the vibe and 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 pureness of those movies that i'm like but it just didn't feel like you could bring that to a willy wonka prequel movie um <laughs> it just didn't sound like something that should work or could work um but man, I, I I just I think this movie works on every level. I think the music is entertaining. I think Timothy Chalamet, um, you know, eventually is Yeah, very wins you over very very quickly. Um, you know, it's not a perfect movie by any means. I think, uh, not everything completely works, and it is one of those movies. Like again, Paul King, I think, is a master of someone that it's so it could be so unbelievably, um, uh, cheesy. Or, or what's the word that I'm looking for? Corny, Eric? corny, but like not uh, like, you know, Insincere. yeah, or just something that's so nice and, and, you know, and, and positive that you're almost like put off by it. Right. And, um, and, and I think his movies, like they, when they start, you start, you almost, they have to win you over. Cause I guess just as you get older and more cynical and has the world, whatever the world situation. And we're critics.
1: So we're and dead we're critics,
0: So yeah. So you're sitting there and you're <laughs> like, like you're kind of a curmudgeon when you start the movie, but he he's so good at winning you over so quickly, um, with optimism. And, 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 you know, I, I, sometimes whimsy doesn't work, but I think in a, in a case like Willy Wonka, it, it it really does. And, and road road dolls universes that, uh, that they create, like, I feel like really just work. It has some stuff that feels already dated, like some of the fat shaming stuff and, uh, with Keegan, Michael Key's character. And, um, like, to be fair, shaming, that was also like, a part of like, I, I, I'm not a yeah. fan of it either,
1: but that yeah. is part of like the role doll. I know. Yeah. Like you read, like, even though it's not based necessarily of, on a yeah. book, but his stuff is very dark and like it totally it has some nasty elements,
0: right? Elements, and like, yeah. I, I, and I feel like that fits. So it didn't necessarily totally take me out or bother me, but I just feel like we're beyond that kind of stuff. And I know it's like very much, Rodal stuff can be dark, but they're children's things, and sometimes that humor works really well on children and, and stuff like that because it is simple and and slapsticky and, and and obvious when it's you know someone is progressively getting bigger during the movie and can't fit through a car door and shit like that. But like, uh so not all of it works, but I think the music is great. There are a couple wonderful musical numbers. I think the. Um, you know the color palette of the movie and the set design and the and the costuming and, and everything is just top notch and um, it just has a, a it, it nails that vibe. Like you said, it doesn't necessarily isn't based off of a Roald Dahl book or anything like that. It's just based off the character, Willy Wonka. But I think it just nails that, that vibe that reminds me of, you know, the Roald Dahl stuff that we were watching as kids. And, 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 you know, I wish it was maybe a little weirder or darker to those points. Cause I feel like the original Willy Wonka, gets very weird and <laughs> well even and, danny devito's and, matilda right like yeah, you look yeah, at something exactly like that exactly. or
1: or you know with wes anderson releasing all the shorts this year that and the henry sugar shorts
0: exactly so i think it's missing a little bit of that like it does have some with olivia coleman's character and stuff like that but um genuinely funny um and and and, and really uh just a, a great time like a very easy watch if you're into musicals if you're not that's what they're trying to hide from you. So whatever. <laughs> don't All hide right. this from me. All right, Eric, you go over the but Willy Wonka. I mean, yeah. Willy
1: Wonka was, was a musical though as well. I it mean, was like the Gene which Wilder. Think, movie. Forget
0: too. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I definitely understand why it is. And, um, I think it works really, really well. Um, but yeah, anyways, go over the two movies that, uh, you had that weren't on my list.
1: Yeah. So, uh, May, December, <laughs>
0: which uh, movie i really like i should have put it on my honorable mentions i do really really like that movie uh
1: great performances i i I mean obviously you know charles melton is doing really well with uh critics groups and and things like that and and julianne moore as well um natalie portman is incredible um in terms of like transforming into julianne moore's character you know elizabeth going into the gracie sort of role and it's kind of you know the debate around this movie is whether or not it's a comedy or if it's camp or if it's making fun of the people that it's somewhat inspired by or loosely based on and i don't think it is i mean it's it's playing in a place where like it's uncomfortable and awkward but yeah, melodrama too but like, yeah yeah it, it will i mean obviously like you know todd haynes being a a, a fan or an acolyte of the works of of you know Douglas Sirk you can see that kind of like false kind of facade of of the melodrama or the camp in there but it's more subversive than anything else in terms of what you're expecting it to be and what it becomes and even you know like that first moment that everybody now is quoting and you know ripping off and and talking about the hot dogs as Matt goes to get the card um it's it's such an incredibly weird thing to be shown that <laughs> that zoom is just amazing and yet Todd Haynes finds moments of of sincerity and and pain and anger and you see a lot of that internalized in Charles Melton's performance and there's a scene between him and 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 Julianne Moore and you know they're playing husband and wife and you know he's asking questions about their relationship and you see somebody that is struggling to articulate and has kind of been you know stunted by the trauma that he's experienced yeah. and he doesn't realize and then you see someone else who also has had issues in her life and not being able to mature and grow up and it's just such a, a an incredibly moving portrait but also you know it keeps you guessing and keeps you considering new aspects of each character's personality and why they're doing what they're doing and what their motivations are. And so with that, like you always find yourself like, wait, am I now rooting for Julianne Moore's character in this scene? Yeah. Or them? I'm now rooting for Natalie Portman's character in this scene. Am I rooting for Charles Melton in this? Who, who am I siding with here? And that's the thing I love about Todd Haynes's movies is that he always finds a way to kind of make you question things. And just when you think you know something or have a hold on it or a grasp of what's going on, he pulls the rug from out under you and you just feel completely lost again. And that's the magic of what he does as a filmmaker is he makes you continually engaged with the material because I think people can easily zone out or kind of be like, okay, well, we're fixed on this. so. Let's just keep here because now I know where the good and the bad is, and I know where the story's going, or you know what these characters mean to one another, and that always changes, and that's the stuff I love so much and Sammy Birch's script really plays within that tonal tightrope of of humor, but sadness and depravity and and anger mm-hmm. and like even thinking about like just like the meta nature of like the casting of natalie portman who started out as a child actor and you know she's talked about how like in 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 interviews where you know she was lucky that she didn't have a fucked up you know upbringing yeah, and like yeah. she you know was able to you know keep a uh her you know head above water and just thinking about like, even like that, that, like with Phantom Menace or, or Leon, the professional where like the over sexualizing of children or yeah. teens or inappropriate relationships. And all of that plays into the movies so well. And like, just thinking about like the line where she's looking at, Young co-stars. It's like, well, we need him to be hotter, and then the yeah, agent or the guy on the really side of the phone. It's like, you, you need to come back. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's <laughs> you know, comfortable, but and like, it <laughs> is, but it
1: makes you laugh, and totally. it, because you're laughing as a way to deal with the awkwardness or the uncomfortable aspects of it. So, um yeah, I, I really, really liked May December quite a bit, and it's just, it's one of those movies that I think, like a lot of people will not know how to engage with because yeah. it'll be on netflix and they'll be like oh it's got natalie portman this? and yeah, julianne right moore they're gonna go what <laughs> yeah exactly and then they'll be like wait this is why like what is this supposed to be yeah. um but really really funny and weird and uncomfortable and um just mm-hmm. happy that it's out there um and then yeah past lives is one that i i i I've Probably held on to
0: spiciest take of the year, definitely
1: your spiciest your your spicy mid take of this year um for for me I just I don't know like I, I I found it to be next to how to blow up a pipeline you know between January and let's say into the summer and even you know before the fall festival season begins you don't get a lot of movies that come out that feel like they're best of or Mm. they're going to be on your list or movies just just keep you going Mm. you know like films that give you something to remind you that oh you know like there's great stuff year round or there can be great stuff year round and the relationship aspect of past lives is beautiful but what i loved most is that you have greta lee's character In Celine Song's movie Saying goodbye to a part of her life A part of herself And that's what I think is most beautiful about the movie And also really sad Because there's a moment in the film Where she's talking to her mother on the phone And her mother's criticizing her Korean And she feels a little bit rusty And You know, it's a part of her life that's over, you know, her childhood is over, but, you know, a part of the world that she grew up in, she's no longer a part of anymore. And that's what I found really moving about this, is that it's a story about saying goodbye, not to just, you know, someone that maybe you possibly could have had a, a relationship with or you know exploring those possibilities but it's saying goodbye to a part of yourself and that can be really difficult to do especially when you're holding on to certain parts and thinking like did i miss out on something yeah you know
0: and it's nice and, to know that a three out of five movie can make people's best yes, <laughs> yeah. of lives
1: yes yeah <laughs> exactly exactly
0: <laughs> uh, as my beautiful wife comes home from her dance practice uh, uh yeah i the past lives thing i'm glad y'all like it but i uh i i i thought it was fine i i thought it was right. fine i just don't really have strong feelings about it like it kind of came and went for me it, it, it is one of those movies you mentioned that like i keep forgetting came out this year and that i'm like oh but people keep talking about it like it's one of the best movies of the year and i just it's not something I want to hate on because I don't hate it at all. I, I, I thought it was, good. but I get it. it when, um, when you see
1: something that you kind of feel is like, it's fine for what it is. It does its job. You, you get it, but at the same time, it just didn't work for you the way yeah that it, it was does good. for other people. Yeah.
0: It's I thought it was a good movie. I just, I, I don't, it's when you see something that you enjoyed, but I think it also was overhyped to me. And, and two, it, I, I you just, you don't, you don't get it. Like you just, no matter how much people talk about it to you, you still don't get it. Um, and again, people, I think, uh, Nevis and I went to go see it at at Lightbox And I remember even at that point, people were like, Oh, it's fucking great. You got to go see it. Uh, so I think that probably hurt it as well. Right. Where maybe if I went in not knowing anything about it, I go, Oh shit, that was really good. But then the, Oh shit, that was really good. Goes down to like, that was a, that was pretty good, but like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, so yeah, unfortunately like passed. Yeah.
1: It's no saw 10.
0: No, <laughs> it's not. Um, uh, all right. Moving on to our, we have three movies that were both in our, our, our ones. Let's go over the one that two of those movies are going to be, well, you've already mentioned zone of interest is your number one. Poor things is my number one. Let's talk about Spider-Man across the spider verse then, because that's the Hell one yeah. uh, kind of in between. Um, you know, we joke about part one movies and, and, and things like that. And I think that's the only thing holding this back from being, you know, an all timer, even though I think it is one of the best animated movies ever made and, and one of the best superhero movies, much like the first Spider-Verse movie. Um, I think what holds it back from being the best movie of the year for me is that part one, because it does feel like an incomplete, it does very much feel like it, you know, especially when I saw I've seen it three times now and once with a, a live score. Ooh, Eric and I were there. It was awesome. <laughs> Fancy boys. Um, uh, putting it from Gwen Stacy's point of view, right. And feeling like a complete story from her, her side of things, not maybe from miles is, but um, I, I think we've mentioned it countless times now and and that seeing it with a live score was just a transcendent kind of a, amazing once in a lifetime all-timer movie experience I think for all of us you nevis myself tim chris anka who's there a bunch of people that we um we met up with and and just had this like you being there was so amazing but the movie itself I think even without that live score and everything like that like just really holds up for being a really really solid superhero movie the creativity in those two films and especially this one like i think is is something you we yearn for in the MCU and other places where we superhero movies are kind of not a dying breed, but like a something that we're kind of as a, as a collective people kind of, are they, you know, is it their time to kind of go away? Right. And we, you'll hear more about this in our echo review, but as we talk about superhero movies as a whole in the MCU, but um, just quickly. Yeah. It, it, I think they, if they can keep being as creative and original as this movie can be and, and Spider-Man being a character, we've seen this story 8 million fucking times. Yes. This isn't a Peter Parker Spider-Man story, but a Miles Morales one, but Peter Parker is very much a part of it. And, um, I just think like doing a Spider-Man story and doing it this original and continuing the themes of that first movie and, 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 and evolving them and, um, what they're able to do is just astonishing really and i think it's uh it's it's really changed like not you don't get movies very often that completely change a genre right and not necessarily or a style of filmmaking and i really think it's changed animation right you've seen the influence in movies like you know mitchell's versus the machines is directly that team but even other studios now like with teenage mutant ninja turtles and and other people like basically just Not copying that style, but being more experimental when it comes to the animation style. Not everything has to have that Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks, uh, Illumination kind of look, right? Which was that CG, you know, you knew what an Illumination movie looked like. You knew what a Pixar movie looked like. You know what a Disney movie looks like. And you're even seeing it in Pixar movies, in Disney movies, them experimenting with animation. and I think that comes from that first Spider-Man movie, but then it goes even harder in this Spider Verse movie, and um, it, it, it's just it, it's it's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, and even just the the idea
1: of of some of the themes where you have both Miles and Gwen's stories kind of crossing over a little bit with the idea of acceptance, where yeah, you know, Gwen's father, you know, doesn't necessarily accept her, you know, career path or what she's doing and then you have miles who is not accepted by the community of spider people led by oscar isaac's character yeah Yeah, because he's a troublemaker he doesn't fit into the structure he's one that will question things or you know has started to cause problems when he was never
0: meant to be right Yeah. yeah
1: yeah and that entitlement that comes out from other people that think they know better or think that they're the ones that can fix things um you know like oscar isaac in in, in a just world he would be considered for best supporting actor because mm-hmm. that performance i think is so strong um but the animation style as you mentioned like it's it's both traditional in terms of its comic book roots but then also you know it's it's allowed to play. It's allowed to show you what could possibly be with these superhero movies. I think maybe the one thing that is lacking a little bit in the live action department now is the creativity, but the creativity here is, it feels like everybody's working at 11 and it's not just like one, you know, department is, you know, doing their best work. It's everybody, you know, the sound people, the editors, the, the, you know, the, the animators, like everybody is coming together to make the best version of this story. And they're going above and beyond when it comes to how to tell a sequel story and how to make a narrative that is still, yes, incomplete. And maybe we'll like this one even more once beyond comes out. Um, But you still feel like, you know, this is a very satisfying blockbuster experience and you know what Guillermo del Toro has been talking about that that animation is just simply for children like this is been a year where you've seen the boy and the Heron, the first slam dunk teenage mutant ninja turtles like animation Super Mario brothers sure uh, animation you <laughs> know <Torino>, fuck you <laughs> <laughs> animation is is becoming you know as as Necessary as yeah. live action, you know, it, I'm being and it's,
0: facetious with the Mario Brothers thing, but yeah, yes, yeah,
1: yeah. yes, uh, I, I'll yeah, choose the absolutely. live action Mario movie, I would too, but I mean, I, I CGI, but it. but they're both, shit. um, but but <laughs> but, anyways, Alex, you're right, um, but with, with with this film, like, he just feels like okay, like I'm actually excited for more, um, studios or more animated movies to rip this off because oh, it's it's a style that. Like it's I'm sure we get we'll sick get of it, sick of it but but, yeah, yeah. but it works it works cuz it's just so Unique and
0: it's interesting and, looking, right? Yeah, until I guess it doesn't, but even if you look at Ninja Turtles, it wasn't like the exact same, they just no. took like inspiration from and it. And Jeff Rowe like, worked
1: on that as yeah. well, who also oh, worked yeah. on Mitchell's, Mitchell's the, yeah. versus the machines.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about these last two together because it's our favorite films of the year, and I think we both really love both films. So, yes. um, I don't know if you wanted to start with Poor Things or Zone of Interest, but, um, you know, I'll. I'll let's end on zone of interest. Cause it's probably, uh let's end on a high but, note. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, uh, Yorgos is poor things I've seen. It's the only other film on this list that I've seen twice with Wonka, same movie basically. Uh, but just, a I, I don't know the, the only movie on here we talked about when you, you, you recognize that you're watching something that's, feels like cinematic or feels like a fucking movie. And and this from we saw it the same day as that we saw Saltburn, which probably hurt Saltburn. But um I, I don't know. From start to finish, I'm just astonished that this movie was able to get made from a major studio, uh Disney being that major studio with searchlight. Um it's incredibly dark. It's incredibly weird. Uh but with both of those things it's incredibly funny. Um, but much like Barbie also, I feel like has, um, a, a great kind of message or, or journey, of this young woman discovering herself and discovering life and discovering the world. I think it has an all timer performance from Emma Stone. Um, I think Mark Ruffalo, um, is spectacular in this movie. Nevis and I keep <laughs> quoting him and just thinking about him and, um it's a movie that every aspect of it should not work but weirdly every aspect does um I think it's production design um it's cinematography it's color grading it's uh costuming um is all you talked about being at 11 for spider-verse I think the same thing could be said for poor things where um it's Uh, framing devices and title cards and, and aesthetic, which I talked about is such a huge thing for me where things like why the creator really worked for me and, you know, creator can't even hold a candle to this movie, but like um, I was just absolutely floored and I could watch this movie a hundred times and just watch it on repeat and, or have it as a screensaver or or sit down and actively watch it. And, you know, I, I made I told my parents to watch it and they watched it and, and they loved it. And I, my dad loved it. I didn't expect my dad to uh, really buy into it, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in love with this movie. It's, it was fighting with spider verse for my number one of the year, but I think after seeing it twice and, and Oh, spider verse, I've seen three times. Who am I kidding? It's not with Wonka. Um, uh, are, so spider versus the only thing I've seen three times. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic movie. And, um, I think Yorgos Lanthimos keep doubling down on his, uh, style and, and I hope his movies get weirder and darker and he gets more and more money to make them because it's, it's great that he's able to do this on this scale and this budget, even though it's not like a blockbuster territory, but for this type of movie, um, you know, getting the amount of money he's able to do this and put it on like a large scale of, in multiplexes and and trick people into seeing this weird movie is great. Is so good. So uh I love it. I love it.
1: It's the art house Barbie. I mean, I've heard yeah. a lot of people call it that as well. Where like it almost is like the redheaded, you know, yeah. evil stepsister of, of of Barbie in a way. Yeah, I I. It's amazing that. There's this entire world created, you know. It's somewhat familiar, but then at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like nothing you've really ever seen before. And yet, you know, there's still very much, you know, homages to, you know, Ken Russell and Terry Gilliam, and and you know, the the cinematography by Robbie Ryan, you know talking about things that shouldn't work with like that fisheye lens oh yeah um
0: shit we usually hate right yeah but
1: yet it works beautifully here and yeah it's so funny and so absurd and so audacious and willing to challenge your preconceived notions of what you know, uh, a Frankenstein feminist story can be. And even though there's a lot of men involved, like Emma stone
0: is a huge part of it. Right. An incredible
1: guiding force as a producer and, you know, collaborating with the Orgos Lanthimos and and developing Bella Baxter and her storyline and going to the places that she does and being very sex positive, Um, All of those things play beautifully. But then, you know, on a second watch, the thing that really got me emotional was Willem Dafoe's arc Mm -hmm. as as the scientist in terms of you see a man who is struggling to repress any paternal feelings and emotions and, you know, be completely scientific and strict with himself, but also doing that because he had such an abusive patriarch himself that physically tormented him and mutilated him. And unfortunately he's learning a lot of the things or, or or applying a lot of the things that he, you know, learned from his father that he inherited from his father into Bella, but then is also realizing those things are awful and especially when she's gone and he's not a part of the story anymore and when we do cut back to him it's you, you see that kind of feeling of oh like this is a father missing his child who has gone out in the world now and is exploring it for herself and is mm-hmm. becoming her you know, own how each generation
0: person. kind of learns from the previous generation and improves yeah. on like their beliefs and and how they even with the ending which i don't want to go into but yeah anyways keep going
1: but yeah it's just like even like thinking about like when he talks about his thumbs and like what his father did to his thumbs and like how you feel so bad for for, the gas bubble
0: thing too right which is a very funny visual but then when you learn about why it's just like some of that stuff is that's the kind of juxtaposition the movie does so well will make you laugh one moment from an absurd visual but it does have this emotional core um that is very moving at times too yeah
1: yeah and then even like going back to the the darkness of it but then also being funny is when when defoe's character explains to rami yusuf's student assistant um bella's backstory and then Rami and him and, and, and Willem Dafoe calling it a happy tale and then Rami Yusuf's response to it being very funny but also being what you should be how you should yeah. be responding to it um it's just it's very outlandish and over the top but it's it's so unique and unlike anything else out there and Yorgos Lanthimos is just one of those guys where I'm surprised anybody gave him money after dog.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause... And he's just continued to make weird shit and, and, and kind of get more power and money uh, in a good way. Yeah. keep making his weird movies <laughs> and you're like, okay, awesome. Like I'm, it's great that Hollywood has been able to kind of, and this is, you know, not to praise Disney or anything like that, but like, that's the shit that we talked about when they, You know, there's a lot of bad shit that came from, um, you know, buying Fox and Searchlight, but like it's what we always wanted them to use Searchlight for, right? Experiment, make weird shit. They have enough money where if a weird thing fails, it's not that big of a deal. Um, But then they can give someone like Yorgos Lanthimos a, a pile of cash to not even comparatively to what their big blockbusters do, but a big pile of cash for a movie that's like this. Um, and it's so awesome that he's able to do that and continue. Yeah. Cause like, I wouldn't have guessed after Dogtooth that this guy would be making a movie for Disney uh, and it would be this thing. Right? Well, too. I mean, he made yeah. the favorite with yeah. them as well. And he's, his next one's with them, too. Right. So, yeah. Um, great, dude. Yeah. God.
1: He's, really yeah, he's, he really is one of a kind. And, and uh, I, I know you already mentioned it, but like his sense of humor, especially through Mark Ruffalo's character. And how- I
0: love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Such a fuck boy yeah. he is, and and like it's also just funny to think like the way that he seduces Bella and sort of like being like, oh, I hate civilized society and all this kind of stuff. But then he becomes that, yeah. and that's funny where he's aware of it as well. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I'm becoming a jealous lover. <laughs>
0: yeah i hate it yeah he's he is phenomenal i mean emma stone's amazing too i mean willem Dafoe's is amazing uh, uh you know a third act christopher abbott appearance is like like he's stone cold steve austin fucking like <laughs> oh my god what's he doing here um uh, it's like is amazing because i love christopher abbott so um just a fucking awesome movie so um yeah and then now let's move on to your favorite film of the year which is definitely up in my top few movies of the year uh which is uh the zone of interest
1: yeah there was nothing else like it this year when it came to not only the feeling it gave because as soon as you watch start watching the movie and it takes a little bit for it to start because it's almost like i described it in my review you're in a decompression chamber where you're sitting in darkness and you're hearing sounds partly score, but also partly sound design screams and kind of weird, strange experimental noises that are coming up. Uh, Mika Levy and and uh, sound designer, uh, Mika Levy, the composer and uh, sound designer, Johnny Byrne. Um, it, it's almost like a way to get you ready for what you're about to watch. And once the story unfolds, you're seeing probably the most disturbing World War II movie ever made because the way that we it Jonathan Glazer handles a narrative that could have easily been a straight adaptation of Martin Amos's novel shows you how people are both complicit and more interested in their creature comforts than they are about what's going on just on the other side of the wall. And you have this family, this Nazi family living next to Auschwitz, and the way that not only the banality of evil, but the mundanity of day-to-day life being so natural in terms of how people talk but also accept what's going on, full aware, fully aware of what is happening. And that That is okay. That is more disturbing than a big World War II battle sequence or, uh, you know, an event, you know, the day to day that we accept these things and Mm -hmm. that we're okay with them. Or even if we're not okay with them, we're apathetic towards them, you know, like that. It's just like, okay, well, this is happening And I'll just continue to accept it because it's a part of what I'm used to now. And that's scary to me. And that's why I think like the zone of interest is not only a great World War II movie. It's not just a great period piece. It's not just a film that's continually reconciling with, like I talked with Killers of the Flower Moon. How do you make a movie like this and not, you know, be exploitative to the thousands and thousands of people that lost their lives? Yeah you know, and, and even the ending of the film, like it, it, it's so clear in its voice and vision and what it is saying throughout the entire runtime. And then also very experimental with the cinematography from mm. Polish cinematographer, uh, Luca who also has shot more kind of beautiful looking films like cold war. And then I'm thinking of ending things where this it's, almost contemporary at times, some of the imagery yeah. we're seeing, the the, the way that night we- Night and- Well, the night vision, but we were talking about Blackberry earlier, yeah. where, you know, Jonathan Glazer would put these smaller cameras in and around the house that this family- Totally, uh, yeah. ...was living in, and it plays like theater because the actors are freed- are walking to walking
0: around and changing. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so, you know, like, that, that's incredible. And, and even the stuff with Sandra Huller, who plays- um Rudolf hess's uh wife the way that she talks about wanting to go on vacation to italy or yeah. the grandmother that comes in and feels inconvenienced by the heat on the, the 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 train ride coming in or you know hula's character again putting on uh the fur coat and finding the lipstick in the in in the pocket and knowing full well where this dress this this came quote from, came yeah. from and and <clears throat> accepting that
0: or even those like, mundane conversations between husband and wife about work and stuff like that too of like oh honey i'm gonna have to move for my job and like i'm being promoted yeah and and shit like that so it's the, those conversations are just haunting in in such a uh like you said a mundane way like any husband and wife would argue about something or talk about you know their work life and and, and shit like that it's just uh uh it's so quietly haunting even though it's it is very it's not in your f- face but it's very like you said clear with its what it's saying and and it's done in such an expert way that like and then it's stylish without being uh, uh, offensive in the way of, or or um <laughs> in the in way of like it's not taking advantage of this time period or what's going on like it's not exploitative at all which is something we talked about in our review where you know the movie is very stylish and 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 like you said feels modern at times too and and you taste take some risks with its cinematography and different uses of red and, and 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 black frames and stuff like that too that i always i was caught off guard by but it never felt like it was just like style for style's sake too right so um that's the stuff i really loved about the movie as well
1: yeah and you just feel completely and utterly depressed by the end of it and you should but it also goes to show you like these are like i think what's so important about this movie as well is the way that he portrays this family is they're not monsters they're not caricatures they're not underdeveloped mustache twirling villains. Yeah. They're real people. They're capable of, you know, the, the, the parents are capable of loving their children. They love their Mm -hmm. children. They're capable of showing compassion and warmth to their family. And knowing that that makes what they're doing or their lack of action and their gain of the system and who they're, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, basically killing um, even if it's not directly, um, you know, you can hold these people accountable because as soon as you make them into monsters, or if you turn them into, you know, caricatures or cartoons, you, you, you give them this power that it's almost, it's like, well, they're, they're that you accept it. And the way that people accept what's going on is Okay. It's like, well, no, you're not supposed to accept that because these people know right from wrong. They clearly do. And they clearly are capable of love and compassion yeah. for each other. So why are they capable of love and compassion and 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 doing something for the people around them that are close to them? But
0: mm-hmm.
1: then they're the people that, that are being.
0: To, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the, 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 the servants, the people that we see, yeah. you know, bringing food to them that are starving to death. Or, you know, the, the 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 maids that are in the house, you know, and how Sandra Huler talks to one of them in particular. It's, or the, you know, building up the wall higher so they don't have to see what's on the other side. But yet the sounds, they mm-hmm. can never block out. And that's the thing that is so chilling about this movie. And I think moving forward, a lot of filmmakers and a lot of studios are going to have to really consider how they're going to handle adapting material like this because you look at things like The Boy in the Striped Pajamas or Jojo Rabbit or The Reader or things like that. Those movies, I think, whether the filmmakers meant it or not, probably they didn't. Hopefully they didn't. They're insensitive. And they're played as hokey Oscar bait material that exploits... A situation, uh, a, a, a genocide, the loss of life in such a grotesque manner. And this movie will hopefully have people at least thinking about that a little bit more, you know, in terms of what you do when you
0: adapt make something or, like this. Know, not adapt, but make something about a certain subject better. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. One last time, Eric and I will run through our best films of the year and then we'll wrap up. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to our most anticipated films of 2024. Uh, But once again, here are my top 15 films of 2023 um, in alphabetical order. Barbie, Blackberry, The Creator, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, The Holdovers, The Killer, Oppenheimer, Perfect Days, Poor Things, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Theater Camp, Wonka, and The Zone of Interest. And my
1: top 15 films of 2023 are All of Us Strangers, Asteroid City, Barbie, Bo is Afraid, The Boy and the Heron, The First Slam Dunk, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, John Wick Chapter 4, The Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon, May-December, Past Lives, Poor Things, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse, and The Zone of Interest.
0: Eric, I know we've had an up and down 2023, but I feel like this list of movies shows that we had movies to carry us throughout the year, both you know devastating, uplifting, and everything in between. Uh, I love doing this. I, like we said on earlier we we're hoping to be a little bit more consistent this year so we already have a second episode recorded so we're on track for this we're good month. to go so, baby <laughs> at least for january we got the two episodes done that we wanted to do so um, we even
1: have a review with echo so we hey. do so
0: we're, we're, we're doing on it. track we're starting the year right um in uh in two weeks time you'll be able to get our most anticipated films of 2024 uh i love doing that episode with eric we recorded that before this so if there's some inconsistencies between things we recorded a new intro and extra to that episode because we had to change the jordan peele movie because it's not actually coming out this year uh but i love that episode that episode's awesome so stay tuned for that in two weeks like eric mentioned we have a review for echo which either should be out now or very very soon i have to figure out the embargo date i know it's i think it's the ninth, so it's probably the day before it comes out or something. I think so. You could get that very, very soon, and then we'll have new reviews for you at least a couple times per month, and then those biweekly episodes. So uh, I'm looking forward to a good year. Uh, I, I like our new little vibe. We're going with the yellow and red kind of vibe. Uh, this year, we're changing things up a little bit, but it's pretty much going to be the same. We're just hoping to be a little more consistent as well as try something new with those uh, those new reviews over on the Untitled Movie Reviews channel. But everything else will be right here on Untitled Movie Podcast. Every conversation-based thing that we're going to do, reviews and new episodes are going to be right here, interviews that will all be on Untitled Movie Podcast and then we're going to try something different for Untitled Movie Reviews that I'm going to aim for the beginning of February, but we'll see uh, what happens there. It's a little bit more work going into those because we're going to do B-roll and write them and and record voiceovers and stuff like that. So I'm excited for uh, what's upcoming, but uh, I think 2023, I'm glad to put it behind us, uh, but I'm glad to reflect on some good movies that we got this year. So thank you, man, for everything. I, I really appreciate you and I'm glad these lists had a lot of crossover, but also had some personal uh, choices from mainstream Matt and esoteric Eric. I feel we stuck to those. <laughs> we stuck to those. So uh, so I'm really happy about that. So uh, go check out these lists as well as that upcoming 20, uh, 24 most anticipated movies of 2024 over on our Letterboxed, which is untitled underscore movies. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck.
1: And I'm Eric March, you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211.
0: Until next time. Fuck
1: 2023. Bye, everybody.